Well, how's spring break treating you? Not much spring weather out there. <laughs> Some are out of town again this Sunday. Some are in town this Sunday. So welcome uh, if you're traveling and you're here. And I, I got to travel myself. I've been to Tulsa, Oklahoma and back. Delisa and I went down there to take care of the grandkids for a few days. <clears throat> that was appropriate. Yes, oh, it was. They are there, so cute and adorable. <laughs> they are, um, Judah is <clears throat> getting on to be just over three, and, uh, and uh, Ellie is uh, just turning two soon. So they are just so much, so much fun. We are having communion this service. It's going to be at the end of my message. If you didn't see these uh, little juice cups and, and, and bread uh, cups here at the entrances, you can go get up and grab it right now because uh, you don't want to miss that. If you're at home and need to uh, get some uh, juice and crackers or, uh, you know, you might eat, if you don't have juice, drink your coffee, but get some bread or crackers or something, then uh, go to the kitchen and get that ready so then when we do transition to that um, quickly and smoothly at the end of my message, uh, you can do that. I'm really excited. It's been like seven years since the last time we had a rites of passage for our young men and women at Living Waters, and that was a, a powerful experience that we've had. I'd been a part of those and led those in uh, uh, another church, other churches in Pennsylvania. And uh, so we're going to start that series uh, here soon. It'll be two weeks from this morning, the first official session of a four-part series of Men of Honor, Women, and Virtue will start two weeks from today here on Sunday morning. And we'll have a covered dish dinner afterwards and have a short teaching uh, there in the fellowship hall together as a spiritual family. So uh, put all that in your calendar. You, you ladies, you know what you like to cook and what we like to eat. So you just go ahead and get that on your grocery list and make plans here in a couple of weeks for that covetous dinner. And then that Wednesday night of that last week of April, we'll have a, a special parents and student session uh, here on Wednesday night with a, uh, a meal provided. And then on May 1st will be our final session together and the uh, men of Honor, Women of Virtue, a seminar with which it ends with the rites of passage ceremony, which will be very different, be very unique. Something If you, you remember it seven years ago, you remember it was uh, a, a great time. And, and one aspect that I have seen working with young people doing this several times now is the encouragement they receive. How many people know when you're uh, a teenager in this today's culture, you need some encouragement. And these events and culminating in the rite of passage ceremony is a way we do that as a spiritual family, building them up, encouraging them, lifting them up into the adult community and say, we see God working in you and you can live out at your walk with God as a young man and young woman. This is a great season of your life and not such a, oh my gosh, you know, they're teenagers, oh no, you know, and this whole negative environment we put on uh, teenagers. And so uh, it is an exciting time, and it's, it's, it's going to be a great time uh, here at Living Waters. This Wednesday night, we are meeting 
uh, in, in as far as we as the student ministry to do some introductory, some starting uh, places with the uh, Men of Honor Women Virtue Seminar. So yes, we will have uh, student ministry this Wednesday night. <clears throat> so, um, as you know, this is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, and, and hopefully we all are thankful to God that He is risen every day, and it's not just on Easter. And yet, this is a special season throughout the world where the body of Christ is really uh, you know, focusing on this um, life-changing work of Christ that sets Christianity apart, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this Sunday, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to, not only today, but next Sunday, where, where we'll be talking about his, how His resurrection becomes our redemption. And our Redeemer lives. And we can't go on without that. We're, we're not good enough. We're not successful enough. Or we're not fruitful enough. We have to have a Redeemer throughout our whole life. And we'll get into that next Sunday. So do, do ask. Lord, we, we ask that as we invite people, or you would specifically lead us to someone, give that prompting to invite uh, a friend, a family member, uh, who doesn't belong to a church, in, uh, or friend or neighbor, Lord God, lead us to that. Invite them uh, for next Sunday. Help us with that in Jesus' name. <clears throat> so this message is, is entitled, From Palms to Thorns. And we're looking at this day in the history of Jerusalem over 2,000 years ago. Where at the end of his three years of ministry on the earth, Jesus is heading back into Jerusalem. It's Passover week, and so hundreds and thousands of people are traveling on the roads. The roads are busy, and they're coming into the city of Jerusalem to uh, have the Passover meal and celebration together. Uh, for us, we uh, see that in, in, as the, um, uh, we call it the Last Supper, we call it the Lord's Supper, and we take, as we will today, uh, you know, a little bread, a little juice. And, but you know, you can celebrate it at home anytime. You don't have to wait for the pastor to schedule it on Sunday morning. You can have some bread and what you're drinking for, for breakfast that morning and have it a part of your, your devotion. Some people do this as part of their devotions often. And uh, don't be bound by what we do here. Feel free to explore the experience of communion. And it's really just a small piece of a Jewish Passover meal where there was many uh, sips and glasses of wine and uh, many breads that they're breaking and food that they're eating that have symbolism that ultimately points to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is approaching... Uh, Jerusalem, and he tells his disciples to go ahead and look for a donkey that has a little foal, a colt with it, and untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says, hey, you know, what are you doing? You're stealing uh, my animals. You know, tell them that the Lord has needed them and everything will be all right. And so we'll start reading here in Matthew chapter 21, 
starting at verse 4, to see what happens as Jesus comes in on this, this donkey colt, this little colt. Verse 4 says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. And I want to warn you here, there's some capital letters in this translation. All you young people, this is not yelling in text. I'm not trying to yell at you right now, I promise you. I've had young people look and say, why are you yelling over the overheads? I said, I'm not. It's just the way the New American Standard reads it. They capitalize the Old Testament prophecies, okay? So just calm down, I'm not yelling. Verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so that was a quote from the Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9, fulfilling an Old Testament scripture and prophetically this day. Verse 6. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them and he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Wow, what an entry. When in that culture, in that day, if you're putting, if you're putting down clo- coats and blankets to walk on, it's a sign of royalty. You're making a path, a clean path, an honored path for that king. Uh, The palm branches were broken and waved and laid down as well as a celebration as victory. And what was known and traditionally known in this culture in that day and age is that uh, when a a general or a king has been victorious in, in war and battle and they're coming back to announce and celebrate this great victory, then they had these, this kind of parade and entrance of the, the coats and the blankets and the palm branches. And in their culture, the horse had to be a certain height. So many hands, because uh, a general wanted to be uh, a higher horse than the regular soldier, and, but the king wanted to have the biggest and the highest horse. And that's how that would distinguish him apart. That's how they would say, I am the, the one responsible for this. I am the king. I am the victorious one. They come in on a horse. But it's specifically prophesied in Zechariah 9.9 that that wouldn't happen when this king comes into Jerusalem. But he would be lowly. He would be a different. He would be not just on a donkey, but on the foal of a donkey. Perhaps the, 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 the mom of that colt was there riding in with them, and it would have just looked weird that Jesus, this grown man, is on this, this smaller donkey. His legs may have been, you know, t- could, could have been almost touching the ground if it was a young colt. Why would he be on the little one? Why not on the grown one? What, what's, what's going on? It's a statement of the kind of king and victory that he would give. Unlike all the others. That his victory was not one of shedding blood of villages and other armies. But he had a different enemy to kill. 
to defeat. And his name was Satan. And his power over people. It says in Romans 16.20, The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And that is the type of king and victor he was and then was expressing that day. So as David said earlier uh, in our transition time, that Hosanna means save us, save us now. O king, O great general coming in, uh, our celebrating your victory. Save now. And that's, that's who Jesus does for us. He says, that's right, I am the one who saves you. And I save you now. But also, he's saying, I save you as the victorious prince of peace. I'm the Prince of Peace. I'm the God of Peace. And this God of Peace, I completely destroyed Satan under your feet. I want to go into what happens later on in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at a few verses in chapter 26. Jesus has a relatively... um, uh, you know, good week. He heals some more people. He goes back to Bethany for a night and comes back. I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty good week. But for the religious leaders, they, each day, the tension is rising from them where they can't take it anymore. And they are strategizing more and more, how do we get rid of this man? He threatens our power. He's taking people's uh, honor from us because they seem to love Him so much. The crowds of people seem to love Him. What in the world is going to happen here uh, if His power keeps growing? We've got to bring Him down. We have to get rid of Him. And so they devise a plan. They have a betrayer among His mix, among the twelve, Judas who they make a deal with for 30 pieces of silver to betray him so they can identify him and arrest him as soon as they can. And this betrayal happens in the night. It happens when uh, there's a, a, a guard, armed guard, up to 100 soldiers come from the temple guard to come arrest him at night. And Jesus says something very interesting in the midst of this very tense moment. He's betrayed by Judas with the kiss. Peter is is in this scene, he gets his sword out and he chops off an ear off one of the temple guards. So now is, is there going to be some kind of sword fight? Is there going to be bloodshed right there? Jesus picks up that ear, does instant surgery and heals the ear. And he says this in this moment of tension in Matthew 26, starting at verse 53. He says, Or do you think I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? And then in in the next couple verses, he addresses the crowd that's there, these soldiers ready to to arrest him. And he says, hey, I've, I've been around you at the temple. Why do you come tonight? And he says, but it's because the, the, 
this must take place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. And that's when the disciples fled. So Jesus let his disciples know, even the crowd of soldiers that think, hey, um, I've got weapons, we outnumber these 12 or now 11 disciples, we can take them if we have a big fight, we can take them no problem. And he's saying, no, um, actually, this is happening to fulfill the Scriptures. That's why this is taking place. If you read in the Gospel of John, I just love this little detail. It's the only place in the Gospel mentions this. When, When they say, you know, who is Jesus? And he's kissed on the cheek and Jesus says, I am he. He's saying, I am the I am. The power of God is released out of his words, and that whole legion of soldiers fall to the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, what's going on? I'm, uh, we're here, we're a, a soldiers here to capture this man, and we're powerless, we're on the ground. He's letting them know, listen, this is really not you leading the way. This is so the Scriptures will be fulfilled. This is important to note. Because Jesus is committed to his word. And, and because of that, things must be fulfilled as, as it, it was prophesied. The turn of the environment of the crowd changed. And they had trials and they said he was a blasphemer and they had false witnesses. And they said, and, and so they were able to rally up the crowd in verse uh, chapter 27 now, looking at verse 22, 23. There's this big crowd, angry crowd with Jesus. And these temple leaders, these religious leaders, have taken him to Pilate. Pilate has been warned by his wife, do not, get, do not condemn this man. He knows that there's nothing that Jesus has done worthy of any serious punishment or death. And they've just released a prisoner. He thought maybe they'll let him release Jesus, and, but no, they released Barabbas instead. And so... He says in verse 22, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Crucify him. And he said, Why, what evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. He knew this was the ruler of the day. That What evil has he done? He knew this was unjust. But the Scriptures must be fulfilled. And so this is unfolding before their eyes. His disciples are horrified. How could it get this bad this quick? His mother, Mary, and the others are horrified. Oh my goodness, we felt tension building all along, but how could it change this quick? Let me tell you, things in the earth can change really quick. Have we not learned that in the last couple years? And it seems like we keep learning it over and over every month or every week. There's something new and different that changes an atmosphere of a nation, of a people, of a of a city, of a community, it can happen that quick. But Jesus follows the Scriptures even to the point of His suffering and death. That's how committed He is to the Word of God. And that the Word of God must be fulfilled. He's submitted to that. He didn't go, oh, let's see, you know... um, 
you know, we're going to skip that one. He didn't bring the angels down like he said he could and stop it. He let it happen, the written word be prophesied and unfold. Others have died for the word of God. Let me ask you and ask myself, and I'm willing to die for the word of God. For it's truth, it's truth that we are willing to die for. The Bible is a prophetic book, and it's hard to count how many Old Testament scriptures are fulfilled in the New Testament. Because is it a prophetic fulfillment? Is it a type, uh, just shadowing of the things to come? Is it a, uh, a connection where the Holy Spirit is connecting? It's just so many ways to count that. And I looked up some numbers, and, and if you look at the prophecies relating to Christ's birth, His life, His suffering, His death, His, His leadership and lordship over the church, it can get into hundreds. Somebody counted uh, 574 verses of the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. And so others counted a little different thing, and so could be conserving, you say, at least 300 times. But much, probably much more, you could say, that the Bible spoke of, in the Old Testament of Jesus and who He is and was and what He did prophetically, and it was all fulfilled. There's many chapters in the Old Testament to reflect this. We're going to look at one specific one. Isaiah 53, we're going to look at carefully this morning. It was written 700 years before Christ uh, came on earth as a man. And what the detail in this chapter is remarkable. It's like you're reading one of the Gospels uh, and, and how his suffering and death came about. Other, many other chapters have just very clear uh, prophecies about Jesus and His life and ministry, death and resurrection. One chapter I want to mention and encourage you to read if, if this interests you in this season of this Holy Week is Psalm 22. Another chapter that just goes into details specifically of what happened to Jesus. That one's more of the physical aspects. This chapter in Psalm 53 goes deeper than that. It goes into what happening eternally and spiritually with this sacrifice of Jesus. The early rabbis called this, uh, uh, kind of fessed up and noticed and recognized that this Isaiah 53, the early rabbis in the first couple of centuries after Christ, admitted that this was a chapter of the Messiah and, and Jesus, it looks like it, it could have been Jesus. But modern and transitioned, I believe, in the Middle Ages and became the modern rabbi, says we don't need a sacrifice anymore. We have the Hebrew prayers. We have this and that. And they ended up, this chapter is called the hidden chapter among Jewish people. And it's one of the uh, main chapters you use if you're in a conversation with a Jewish person. This is a great chapter to use. I did on my first uh, trip going to Israel back in 1995 with Joel and Carol and a group from here. My, our last plane flight uh, over into uh, Tel Aviv, um, I, I sat next to an Orthodox young man from New York, black hat, 
beard, the curls, the black outfit, the tassels, the whole bit. And uh, I had taken some sleeping pills. And I was awake long enough to show them this chapter and have a conversation. But somewhere in there, I fell asleep right on this guy. Planting seeds, right? Who knows what God did? So, I was watching a um, video about the hidden chapter. And it was a young man in Israel, probably Jerusalem somewhere. They were all speaking Hebrew, so you had the English captions at the bottom. And he's talking to them about, hey, do you know about uh, Isaiah chapter 48? And he said, what, what book is that? What are you talking about? No, this is, yeah, this is your Hebrew scriptures. This, have you, and, and they would not know what he's talking about. And there were several people, you know, they were showing the conversation developing. And, and then he, he would just give them the Hebrew Bible and say, read this chapter, and they would read it out loud and say, what do you think this means? What does it say? And as they read each verse, they would just, well, it looks like it means this. It looks, and there's, it, it just, it's, it, it's obvious this is the, a Messiah who's a sacrifice for his people. And this is, I'm reading out of my Bible. An old person, a young person, people who knew, uh, you know, traditions of their faith were Shocked and surprised. We could start actually in verse uh, chapter 52, but we're going to start in Isaiah 53, verse 3, and look at a number of these scriptures and how it actually does two things. It points back into the sacrificial system of the Jewish faith, and it points to Jesus being sacrificed for us. It points in two different directions. It says in verse 3, He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their faith, he was despised and we did not esteem him. He was despised. He was, it says in Matthew 26 and other Gospels that they spat on his face, they beat him with fists and, and others slapped him. The people that he healed, the people that he loved, he knew what rejection was. And he lived a human life of 33 years and perhaps lost his father. His father wasn't in the picture. And so this phrase, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he, w- he understands what a human life is. And he understands rejection, he understands hurt and pain. So many times we think of with Jesus as far as the way. He's up at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He doesn't understand what I'm going through in the pain and stuff. No, let me tell you, he, this is, states who he is. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so from that place at the right hand of God, he intercedes for us and our, for God's will and needs in our lives. He's not far, he's close. That's how the palms could turn to thorns. Is that this had to happen, this environment where he was despised and even the favor he had among people coming in on Sunday, Palm Sunday, by uh, uh, that Saturday, it was crowds crying out, crucify him. Let's look at verse 4 and 5. Surely our griefs, and he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. See, in verse 4 it says, Surely our griefs and He Himself bore and our sorrows, sorrows He carried. I had fun this past week carrying little boys and girls. And when little Ellie wanted to keep up with the group and she couldn't keep up, we either had to just separate and let uh, Judah and Delisa go in front or we need to help her pick up and pick her up so she could catch up and she could be in. When, when one of the little ones is crying because they've hurt themselves, what do they do? They want to be picked up. They want to be carried. I had to just throw that in there. I just wanted to tell a grandpa story, a papa story. So thank you for letting me do that. Jonathan Kahn, if you've seen him, just a remarkable uh, messianic rabbi teacher. I listened to him go over this chapter, and it's too much to, to follow him and all the Hebrew words he gets in into. But he says the Hebrew words here where he himself bore uh, our griefs and he carried our sorrows, that is the same Hebrew words pointing back to Leviticus. Leviticus is the book where the sacrifices that the Jews were supposed to make for this sin and this situation, that to stay cleansed and the many sacrifices and how, why it was there, that's all in the book of Leviticus. And that is a Hebrew repeated there. So a Jewish person would recognize, oh yeah, well I know that word, that's in the sac... That's, they, this lamb, they, the lamb they carry, they take on, they... The, it's put on them. And I want to tell you, yes, our sins, and we'll see that as we read this passage, but He carries our griefs and our sorrows. That's part of the work of the cross. That's part of what He takes on Him on the cross is our griefs and sorrows. That's why that there is a such thing as comfort and restoration of our soul because we can go to Him. He carries us and He holds those griefs and sorrows, pains and He restores our soul. We need that in life. This is a remarkable, the word stricken here uh, is also the same Hebrew word for when the first Passover lamb, when the people of, uh, of Israel were uh, captured there in Egypt and there was ten plagues, the last plague was the death of the firstborn son and they were instructed to have a Passover lamb, sacrifice the lamb and take its blood and strike it on the doorposts of your house. Same Hebrew word saying that they're reading this and oh my goodness, he was stricken? Yes, his blood was taken out of him, put on another set of wood, his cross, and that wood and that blood is for the saving from us. From the, that was the death angel in Egypt and to save us from God's judgment. And that's what Jesus did. He saves us from God's judgment with his blood on those wooden beams. See, He is a just God. It says in verse 5 that we just read it, He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished. He was chastised for our well-being fell upon Him. 
It's, he's a just, perfect, and holy God. Somebody has to be punished. And you and I, when we receive any ounce of mercy or grace, it's because He was punished so that we could receive that mercy and grace. We don't deserve it. It's not because you're a good person or because you said the right prayer. Let me tell you, it's because someone already did the sacrificial work and took care of that punishment. Isaiah 53, verse 6 and 7. Let's go on. It says, All of us are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. So this... Sacrifice is different than the ones they read in Leviticus because this lamb would take care of this year of sins. This offering will take care of this for so long. This, and they would have to do offerings and sacrifices over. No, this it says, but the Lord has called the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is the ultimate sacrifice. This is the once for all sacrifice. In this passage, it talks about like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. This is, again, the same Hebrew word used a number of times. It's this, the word Seth, and it's used many times in earlier scriptures to describe the lamb. The Passover lamb, that's the Hebrew word for the Passover lamb back in Egypt that we just talked about, and the blood over the doorposts. In Genesis 22, when we see a reenactment, really a human uh, reenactment of what would happen on Calvary, we see God the Father tell Abraham to go sacrifice his son Isaac. Real story, true story. I want to tell you that God doesn't do that anymore. And he never intended for Isaac to die, okay? Judaism or Christianity doesn't support child sacrifice. But it was a test. Would Abraham obey his God even to this degree? Could he obey God? And so there he is. He takes his son Isaac out to Mount Moriah to have a sacrifice. And as they were going, uh, they had the wood and they had the flint to start the the fire, and the son says, uh, <clears throat> hey, Dad, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And he said, God will provide the lamb. And on that same Mount Moriah, the same mountain of Calvary, where Jesus, where God provided the lamb for us. And sure enough, the way that story happened, though Abraham was willing to be obedient, he was ready to sacrifice it, and an angel stopped him from sacrificing his son, and then there suddenly was a sacrificial, uh, a, 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 a lamb, a ram to um, sacrifice, and they did it together. But it was it was like a it was like a a pre-run, a dress rehearsal for God Himself to watch this happen, and and it 
I think it prepared God. I'm going to do this, this. I'm going to actually do this. In one history point of time, I'm going to release my son and crush him to be the sacrifice the once for all. Let's go to verse 8. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away and asked for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. There is a cutting off of what happened in Jesus' life. We see that in his, the crowds coming against him, him being crucified. But also... Believers, Christians, from the Jewish people. And there is such a, a disdain for a Jewish person becoming a Christian, they say, well, you've gotta, you can't be a Jewish person and be a Christian. You could be an atheist. You could believe in all kinds of pagan things, all kinds of uh, religions. But if you are a believer in a Jewish Messiah... And in a New Testament written by all Jewish people, no, you cannot be both Jewish and Christian. That's why Jewish people, when they do come to Christ, they don't use the word Christian. They use the word Messianic to say, I believe in the Messiah that our Scriptures teach about. He's our Messiah. Yeshua. And they try to to hold off on the, the word Christian to, to confuse things. I, I've, I've seen this in the States. I was a chaplain in Philadelphia on staff, and this staff had a Jewish chaplain. She was a cantor, meaning a worship leader in a synagogue. Great lady, really neat to talk to. And I was sitting next to her one day in the break room and sharing her about some of the Hebrew songs I knew from Robert Stearns and Eagle's Wings Ministry and... I thought she would be interested because she's a worship leader and 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 I and I said the word messianic in there. This is messianic worship and she said no. No, a Jewish person cannot be a Christian. I mean, she just like interrupted me and just said it just like point blank, no discussion. I was like I was like what what do you mean? What do you what do you mean by that? I mean, no, I know people. I know people who who are Jewish, but they love God. They call themselves Messianics. And she, no, I mean, she just wouldn't even go there. Another day, I'll tell you a story about a rabbi I worked with too, but I won't go that on that one here. So yes, there is this cutting off of Jesus and his followers from the Jewish faith. And that's why the salvation of the Jews is it's, it's part of God's end time work. It's what God prophesies that will happen. And we see the messianic body growing in Israel today. Praise God. Which is really the first time over all these centuries, just in the last few couple decades, we see an actual growth of the messianic body in the land. Isaiah 50, 53, 9, a couple more scriptures, and then I'll close here soon. Verse 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. See, this really happened. Jesus died. He was assigned, and in his death 
with two criminals at his side. The detail of this scripture is, is being fulfilled in the Gospels, and yet he was with the rich man in his death. They described Joseph of Arimathea, the one who provided the tomb for Jesus to be laid in as a rich man. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Isn't that hard to read? God the Father was pleased to crush His beloved Son, Jesus, putting Him to grief. If He would render Himself as a guilt offering, He will see His offspring, He will prolong His days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. So, that death was the channel for our blessing. And the Lord will prosper His Son's obedience. And exalt Him as King of kings and Lord of lords. There's a New Testament scripture that just summarizes this so well. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This is a miracle. This is the miracle of salvation. This is why Isaiah goes into the deeper places. We needed salvation in our sin. How does it happen? Jesus had to actually become the guilt offering to take on our sorrows, take on our sins, the sins committed against you, take it on, and be the one who would be punished to take on our guilt so we don't have to live with guilt. We don't have to live in bondage to sin, bondage to sorrow and grief. These things is what He became sin for us and became the offering, the guilt offering, so we receive and become the righteousness of God. We become a new creature in Christ. Our hearts become new. It's a miracle on the inside. It's what we often call justification. And reading verse 11, it says, And as a result of the anguish of the soul, He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. and uh, I want to say a a few words before we actually take communion, but I'd like for them to go ahead and prepare and begin some music. So Jesus Christ is the once-for-all worthy sacrifice, chastised for our sins and healer of our wounds. Go ahead and put that statement up there. See, He is a worthy sacrifice. He is effective sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. And for Jews who grew up saying, uh, being taught that, oh, uh, you know, the, the sacrificial system was for the old days. Now we've got other things like the Hebrew prayers and things, being a good person and so forth. No, the hidden chapter, chapter 53 of Isaiah, says we all needed a, a man, a, a sufficient sacrifice for us. And it's the, it, it meets all of the requirements of the sacrificial system. And all the details have been fulfilled in Jesus' day. 
You do have a sacrifice who's worthy, effective, who's perfect, who's holy, who, when he's been punished, then we become the righteousness of God and the, he becomes the healer of our wounds. I want to remind us, I started off this teaching, that Jesus is committed to the Word of God. That the Scriptures must be fulfilled, he would repeat several times in that one chapter, reminding people, no, this, this sorrow has got to happen, these events have got to happen for the Scriptures to be fulfilled. I want to tell you today, there's hope in trusting in God's Word. God's Word is truth. Truth transforms us. John 17, verse 17 and 19, Jesus is actually praying for His disciples before He's betrayed. He's also praying for those who will come after the disciples. And He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. As you sent Me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify Myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Whatever you sense a bondage to in this world, whatever you feel discouragement in right now, what sorrow overwhelms you and you see no hope, let me tell you, there is hope. Because His Word is powerful. His Word is truth. And we can and we must depend on God's Word. It's His way to get Himself to us. He's called the Word of God in John chapter 1. I hope this morning your heart's getting restirred to be more committed to God's Word, to trust in God's Word more, to go back to God's Word. Because there is a, when we sanctify, we set ourselves apart to God and His Word, transformation can happen. If we're going to just let the worries of this world and the messages of this society and these quick changes we're seeing in our uh, on, uh, in our environments and in the world, and we let all that really discouragement, depression, just lead us and guide us. We will be weak. We will be depressed. We will be uh, beaten down. But if we, even in the midst of these circumstances, stay committed to God's word, trusting in His word, saying, "Lord, Your word is truth. Sanctify me by Your truth." Hallelujah. In a moment, we're going to remember this perfect sacrifice that really is the once-for-all sacrifice. And yet, He doesn't force it on anybody. And so, the take-home from today's message and getting ready to do this, this communion is that you, to receive salvation from His worthy sacrifice. Don't depend on salvation from your works or being a good person, uh, going to church, uh, whatever your dependence on, fully depend your salvation on Jesus. And perhaps you here, perhaps you online or someone watching later on, you really need to, you, you know, I'm not sure if I died today, if I would go to heaven or not. I might instead receive the wrath of God because I don't have that that righteousness from the blood of Jesus to protect me from God's wrath. If you have any doubt in your mind, then I want to pray for you. 
I want you to pray this prayer with me. And that so then when you take communion, it's your first communion as a child of God. It could be that you've just been far away. You've let worry and anxiety take you away from God and His Word. And He's just way down on the back burner somewhere. And you realize, no, I want to be committed to God and His Word. I don't want this me to be distracted and pulled away. Then this prayer is for you to be restored. For Jesus is your Lord and Savior, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Let's, in fact, do this prayer right now. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, everybody in this room, and those at home, just say the prayer again, and hopefully there, if there's anyone here that needs that, or at home, you're going to say it and mean it from the bottom of your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. Your sacrifice was enough. I don't want to trust in myself anymore. I give up. I turn to you. I turn away from my sins. I give you my hurts and pains. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave for me so you can live in my heart forever. Come into my heart by your Spirit. Wash me, cleanse me. Make me new. A new person. Give me a new heart. Not a heart of stone, but a soft heart that seeks you and loves you. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. I depend on your goodness and faithfulness. I am your child today. Also, in this communion time, of course, you're receiving whatever the Lord wants you to receive, not only salvation, but also continue living in His Word and be transformed. Lord God, I pray for us that we do not let the ways of the world or the worries of the world pull us away from Your Word, trusting in Your Word and the work of Your Spirit in our lives. Lord, we recommit ourselves, Lord God, of, of trusting, getting in, digging deeper in Your Word, Lord God. Refresh us in our commitment today. You died for your word and the truth of it, Lord God. Lord, build that determination in us that we will obey your word and follow you even to the point of pain and suffering and death. going to review the scriptures here regarding self, uh, communion and I encourage you to receive it on your own time the worship will be going on feel free to uh, worship as you take communion
Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. These elements are blessed. The bread and the juice. Receive it on your own time and your own way over these next few moments.
You're worthy, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. We're grateful. We honor you. We worship you. We give you our lives willingly, fully, completely. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to, oh, praise God. Let me say a blessing over you. Oh, worthy lamb, the lamb that was slain for us. Thank you, Jesus, that you're perfect, you're holy, and you make us your righteousness. You make us righteous. We're so grateful now as we go into this week, Lord God. We go with that grace on us, Lord God. That we're free from worry. We're free from condemnation. We're free from guilt. Lord, because we're serving you. We're following you. Lord, Lord, Lord God, thank you that we will uh, catch temptation quickly. Lord God, and follow you. Lord, we'll uh, turn our pains and sorrows quickly over to you and follow you. Thank you, Lord. There's a grace on us this week because of what you've done on the cross. The perfect sacrifice. Bless us as we serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. It's Holy Week. See you Friday night here at Open the Wells. And then on Sunday. See you soon.